Amen. We're going to jump into the second um, sermon in this series called There I Said It. Um, Unapologetically, it's kind of a a little bit of an in our faces um, where we take something and we look at it and we say, did God really say this? And if he said it, then we put it right up there in our face and say, there, he said it. Um, And then taking things that have been misconstrued, taking things that have been messed up, taking things that have, you know, pretty much turned into heresy and say, whoa, 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 let's back that up. Let's talk about this. There, I said it. Um, And most of it will have to do with what Jesus says to you and I and what we're doing. Um, I love coming in here and I'm going to say this. I just, before I can go on, I'm going to say this. He will never get up here and have to apologize for preaching the message because while we were singing, I will make room for you, I was praying for him to take over the church. Um, And I don't say that as a joke. I believed that the Lord was putting something on his heart. And so I just started praying and said, Lord, I'll do the announcements when he's done. And that's what we'll do. And so I was plenty prepared for that to take place. And I'm glad that the Lord has gifted us and brought us together, whether it's people here, uh, people in, in the audience, people um, making the coffee, whatever it is, um, I am honored to be one of you um, and uh, that we do this thing together. And I want to do that. Um, and this sermon series is something that I want for us to do together as well. And I want us to always be able to say that we're making room for the Lord And so, you know, we just want to say, come Holy Spirit, you've got something to say to us. And at the end of the day, I I honestly believe that if the Lord wants to wreck the service and turn it upside down, I'm pretty much okay with that. I am. Because it's more important that the Lord does what the Lord wants to do in here than I do what I plan to do, even though I do my best to plan what I believe the Lord wants to do in here. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, Joe Wood is a human being trying to hear a living, almighty, powerful God that he's never seen in his life, other than the fact that I can tell you what I've experienced, and it's amazing. In the first service, it got done, and I wondered, Lord, did you do anything in this service? And a man met me back there halfway, and he said, I don't know what just happened in this building, but I want that. He said, I am so tired of being an alcoholic. I am so tired of my marriage being on the rocks all the time. I want you to pray for me right now, and that's what I want. And that's where we need to be. A bunch of people coming in here looking for God, chasing after God, but I want it to be all about what I want to share with you right now. Words. There. I said it. Someone once said, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Okay? I want to tell you this. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can kill your whole future. There. I said it. I believe that with all my heart. I would rather, and I've been there, be broken, had a motorcycle accident, broke my my upper arm in half, cracked it three more times, broke this thumb, cleared through, was in two casts and going through life for eight weeks and I was healed up than to deal with some of the things that have been said to me year in and year out and year in and year out and I bought it and I believed it and I acted on it and it almost wrecked my whole life. Because I couldn't get unhurt from the words. I couldn't. And so I found help in Jesus Christ. And so I want to say, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can kill your whole future there. I said it. The scripture that I want to look at today is going to be found in the book of Judges, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, and and reading through this, and I'm going to part and parcel it just a little tiny bit, because um, I didn't want to just sit here and read, you know, the chapters over and over and over and over and over again, but I want to take the story of Gideon um, and what it is that took place in his life that applies to us today, and then I want to unpack 
um, what I believe the Holy Spirit asked me to bring into you um, today and what he was speaking to me personally. Okay, so I want to do this. So let's look at Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And this is the account of a man named Gideon. You may or may not be familiar with that name or even the story, but let's just talk about it. It begins this way. Again, again. And you can just circle that word in your Bible. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he turned them over. He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of the Midians was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither the sheep, nor the cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land specifically to ravage it for the purpose of ravaging it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And this is our story here today. This is what we're looking at. And if I can just give you kind of a nutshell version of what's what. Judges is a book that uh, takes place. Most people believe that it was written by the prophet Samuel. But it takes place between um, the death of Joshua and the coronation of King Saul, okay? And so it takes place in there, and he, these are all the people. Now, when we say judges, uh, and I say we're going to read about this judge, please don't think about somebody who had a big wooden desk and a giant gavel and made judgments for people. Rather, think about somebody who was their champion, somebody who was their savior, somebody who was their main warrior, who went to fight for them and saved them from their oppressor, and then probably tried to balance things out in and amongst the community um, as a leader, but was not designated a king or anything like that. They were judges. They were warriors. They were people that saved them, if you will. Very much like what happened in the second half of the football game last night that I will not go any further into talking about. But wow, you missed it if you didn't watch the whole thing all the way to the end. Okay, but that's the picture. And as is, and maybe you and I can relate to this, as is our human nature, you notice that Israel goes through the same thing. It said at the very beginning of that verse, again. Again, Israel chased after God with all of their hearts, enjoyed a season for what I think this one was uh, 40 years, I think is what it was. No, yeah, 40 years. And then all of a sudden they drifted away from God, as was their, their habit. And they drifted away from God and they started looking around going, hey, the sinners are having fun. Why don't we go hang out with the sinners? And then they started hanging out with sinners and then they started forgetting about God and then they didn't pay attention to God and then they didn't obey God and then pretty soon they didn't even know God and pretty soon they didn't look any different than all the pagan sinners in the world around them. And God said, fine. So he sent the Midianites and he said, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go down there and snatch my child up by the hair on the back of its head and spank their bottom. Grab them by the ear, take them out to the woodshed and whoop them. 
And that's pretty much what the Lord did with the Midianites. You know, the Midianites, the Malachites, the Canaanites, a lot of ites in the Bible, okay, that God used, even though they were pagans, to come in and say, listen, I need you guys to come back. This is the thing that I can be sure of. God was dealing with the nation more than he was dealing with individuals. You cross from your Bible from Malachi to Matthew, and then God starts dealing with individuals and creating a nation out of them, whereas before he's dealing with a nation and trying to save individuals. Okay, um, and so you've got this picture of God trying to deal with Israel, and even when he sent the Midianites, the point was he was trying to save them and, 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 and just have this, this, um, this stump of Jesse, this root of Jesse, that he could continue to build on because he made a promise and said there will always be a king from David's line on the throne. He had all this all planned out. It hadn't happened yet. But this was God's plan. Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And, and he continues to use people as he's moving forward. And so as God is doing that, he takes and he allows the, the uh, Midianites, because the Israelites in their cycle, they had cycles, as they drifted away from God, then God said, well, let the enemy come in, put you in a position where you will cry out, and you will say, God, save me. And God says, then I will save you. And then and I just I started going through the book of Judges and just writing, you know, 7, 40, 20, 40, 40, 40. How many years were they wicked, awful sinners? Then how many years did they, just looking for a correlation. You know, in my own life, it's like, how long can I be a wicked sinner before the Lord says, hey, I'm going to send the Midianites into your life, Joe. Okay, so if you don't straighten up, fly right. And it's like, how many more years? Do I, I, don't, I don't care, I don't know. I, I, I just want to chase after God. But God seemed to allow them to exercise their own wills, and then pretty soon he was back to saying, all right, I'm going to bring you guys back because I told you I was going to save you, you were going to be my people, and I was going to make a great nation out of you, and you were going to be a blessing to the whole world. So we have this picture, this judge, this savior, this champion named Gideon. The story goes on in Gideon uh, Judges chapter 6, just picking right up on the next verse, verse 7, and it says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said to them, Listen, this is, you know, I'm looking at this at Joe Wood's life. You look at it at your life. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you haven't listened to me. In 2023, we would say, listen, I told you how to live. You're standing there shaking your fist at me saying, God, God, why did you let me get in this position? All the while, you won't do what I say. If we won't do what God says, we don't have the right to shake our fist at him. See? Because what he's promised to us is, is wrapped up in the idea that we follow after him. We obey Him. We love Him. To obey, what was it I said last week? That, that, that the Scripture says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed better than the fat of rams. 
God wants our obedience because he loves us and he's trying to keep us inside of that love and that plan. So we've got this picture and this is the deal. And then it goes on from there and it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite. Again, a lot of ites in here where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I love Gideon's reply, pardon me. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And he says, "Uh, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And the Lord said, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together, leaving none alive. Now, uh, depending on which uh, version you're reading, it will say, I will be with you, and together we will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. And the point here is that God told um, um, Gideon, he's listen, I'm not sending you out there by yourself. I'm coming with you. We're going to do this thing together. Kind of it sounds like um, um, Moses when God said, hey, I'm with you. Watch what we do. Just stand there and, and, and I'll do my part. You do your part. It sounds like when the scripture says to you and I, the Lord will never leave you and the Lord will never forsake you. Uh, forsake you. It sounds like when Jesus says before he ascended into heaven, listen, go out there and make disciples. And listen, I will be with you to the very end of the age. You and I are never alone and apart from God. It can feel that way. Because we're distracted, we're turned away, we're sinning, we're not paying attention, we're busy, we're not willing to be obedient. It can, it can feel like we're on our own, but every, every Sunday, every gathering that we go to, I often am looking for a way, you know, because we want to pray. We say, Lord, please just come and visit upon us. Holy Spirit, come. And it's like, where two or three are gathered together, the Lord's already there. Why do I got to say, Lord, come? I'm trying to find another way to say it, and and it just kind of takes me to the place of saying, Lord, open up our eyes because we're so daft. Let us see you and what you're doing. Because we know he's here. Because there's more than two or three gathered together in his name. So he's here. But the question is, are we going to make room for him? The question is, are you going to be available to God? That's our word for 2023. As he comes into this, this room, as he is in this room, and you're here, and he's opening up the Word of God to you, and he's speaking to your specific situation and heart, are you going to listen to him? And so we've got Gideon going, nah, you got the wrong guy. Does that sound familiar? Sure, sounds like Moses. Lord, you got the wrong guy. Nah, no, 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 no. Sounds like David's brothers. When David comes running in and says, what are you guys doing up here? Who is that Philistine down there? And what do they say to him? Oh, David, you're so awesome. You're the youngest and you're dad's favorite. And it's so great that you came to see us. Thanks for coming, buddy. And that's not what they say at all. They're like, dude, you little punk. Who's with the sheep back there? You don't belong here where warriors are. You're just little David. See, Gideon had heard the same thing all of his life. Gideon, you're just Gideon. Gideon, you're not from the right family. Gideon, you're not from the right tribe. Gideon, you're not from the right people. I would dare say, because people are who they are, that they said, Gideon, you're not one of us. 
Because see, Gideon traces his family through Manasseh. Manasseh traces his family through Joseph. Joseph was married to a pagan. I'd like to believe that she decided to follow Jesus, or the Lord, in that case. But it doesn't matter. You know how people are. You know how they do. It's like, no, you're not real. You're not pure blood. You're not pure bread. You're not pure anything. You don't get to do this. I would believe that that's the case. And here's Gideon saying, no, no, no. I think you've got the wrong guy. If, if the Lord is with me and I've got mighty power, why am I in the wine press? Now, a wine press can be in the ground. The wine press can be on top of the ground. But in either case, the wine press is big enough that he can hunker down if he had to hunker down, and he can shake the wheat, and he can beat it with a flail, and he can get the wheat seeds to fall off, and he can hide from the Midianites why he did it. Being in a wine press would suggest that he had a significant amount of wheat to flail, okay? And so he was in there doing this, trying to save it up and get it gone before the Midianites showed up and said, we'll take that, thank you very much. Ever feel like you're hiding in a wine press because you're not good enough, because the voices around you keep putting you down, because the circumstances are such that you can't feel like you can get ahead, that you can't succeed, that you can't move forward, that it's never going to work out, you're never going to see that kind of an experience that you keep seeing all around you. Like Gideon when he says, where are the things that are happening to everybody else? Now he says it in relationship to, where are the things that happened to our ancestors? But don't you and I say, how come that can't happen for me, Lord? Why doesn't the Lord do this for me? Because we're hiding in a wine press. And the Lord, while Gideon's in the wine press, comes to him and he says, hey, now I love this story because it goes on. Gideon's like, hey, I'm not the right guy. You got it all wrong. Um, you, you messed up. You need to go somewhere else. Bigger tribe, bigger everything. And he doesn't do that. But you recognize that even as the story goes on, Gideon says, all right, we're going to do this thing. And he's a little nervous about it. So he comes to God and he says to God, he says this, he says, God, listen, if, I just need to know if I'm getting this right. So if this is you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this fleece, this sheep skin, I'm going to throw it on the ground and I'm going to go to bed. And if I wake up the next morning and I may be getting these two backwards, but you know, it's, it's this way, trust me. Read it for yourself. And he wakes up, he says, No, no Lord, if the grass is wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll know you're sending me to go kill the, the, uh, the Midianites. And, and then the Lord, I mean, it happens. He wakes up, grass is wet, shoes are wet, it's terrible. He picks up the fleece, it's dry, it's all cozy and lovely. And, and he's just like you and I. He's just like you and I. He's trying to get a different answer. I believe it with all of my heart. He's trying to get the Lord to say, No, Gideon, you don't have to do it. It's okay, buddy. So he goes, Lord, 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 just bear with me, but let me do this one more time. Only this time I'm going to put the fleece on the ground, and the ground's, the ground's going to be dry, but the fleece is going to be wet. You know how it is when you're like, ah, I feel like the Lord wants me to you know, go into missions in you know, Southeast Asia, and, and, and you're like, man, I, I don't know. So you go ask nine people, and they're all like, no, you're not cut out for missions, dude. You know? And then you find one person, no, it would be the other way. Yes, you should go. Yes, you should go. Yes, you should go. And then you find one person that goes, nah, you're not cut out for missions. And you're like, nah, the Lord said I shouldn't go. I went and asked him, and I asked the Lord for a sign. Never mind you got a sign of nine people that said go. You got the one that you wanted, and now you're going to do what you want. Gideon, I believe, was doing the same thing. He threw that fleece down there, personal belief and conjecture, Okay. He put that fleece down there. He's like, Lord, just time. We're going to do it backwards. You make the fleece uh, wet and the ground dry. And he got up and it's like, oh, man, the fleece is wet. I got to go smite some Midianites now. Ah, I got to find a sword. Anybody got a sword I can whack some people with? 
Can you imagine your neighbor calling you from church and saying, dude, you got something that's got a clip with about 36 in it because I just feel like, no, that's not who we are and that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying, put it in context. That's what he did. He had to go find a sword and say, all right, we got to lead this rebellion and, and push everybody back to Great Britain. We got to do this thing. And, and that's where they were. Now, understand this about the fleece. Did you get that, that that's where that fleece, anybody ever said, hey, just put a fleece before the Lord? And you're like, I wonder where that comes from. That's where it comes from. I need you to understand something. The scripture also says, don't test the Lord your God. Don't do it. Do not do it. But Gideon wasn't testing God. I believe Gideon was saying, God, I just want to make sure I'm getting this one right. Because this one could cost me a lot. I'm willing to do it. If I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're calling me to it. He said, could you just do this? He's not saying prove that you're God. He's saying, I need to know that it's you. Because I'm daft. And I've been there before. And so we see this. And so God ends up doing this amazing thing. Saves Israel. They enjoy this, the, the peace, the scripture will say, of God for a season. And then they go right back to their pagan ways. And God's got to do it again with a different guy in a different scenario in a different situation. Because human beings, being what they are, we find ourselves in this all the time. So let me just share these things with you so that I don't keep you here all day. And this is going to be important that you see how we build on this, okay? We believe that we are what we've been told all of our lives. We do. We believe that we actually are what we've been told we are all of our lives. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not tall enough. You're not athletic enough. You're not rich enough. You didn't come from the right family. You're not going to achieve that. You can't make it happen. You, all of the things that, that, that we hear that keep us down and oppress us. I just want to tell you right now that if you tell somebody, growing up in, in my house, okay, and it has its own horror stories, and you're welcome to ask my kids anything that you want. I don't care what they tell on me about. I really don't, okay? I'm just telling you, you were not allowed to use the word stupid in my house. Okay, I heard it too much as a little boy growing up, and I told my children that that was the most awful swear word that they could say, and they would get in a lot of trouble for using that word stupid. But you tell somebody they're stupid long enough, and I've even stopped grown people and said, hey, man, don't, don't tell your spouse she's stupid. And he's like, oh, we're just kidding. No, you're not, because it's a, it's a dandelion root that gets in. And you keep saying it, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. And you can snap off the dandelion, but it keeps going. You haven't killed the root, and it keeps going. And pretty soon, that person thinks they're stupid, and they begin to do that. And, and honestly, that's not the plan. You ever heard that story? A pastor told a story one time, an illustration I heard in a sermon, and he said this. He said, it's, it's a lot like you know, the words that you hear and doing things because the generation before you and the generation before you and the generation before you. It's like a, a man got married, and uh, him and his wife settled down, got into a house, and Easter came around. It's time to cook the ham. And, and, uh, and he says, hey, are we going to have ham? She says, sure. And she whips out the ham out of the refrigerator, sets it on the counter, cuts off both ends of it, puts it in a pot, puts it in the oven. And he says, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. There's two great pieces of ham sitting on the counter. What's the deal? She said, this is how you cook a ham. 
And he said, what do you mean this is how you cook a ham? Put that ham in with the ham. She said, no, this is how you cook a ham. How do you know this is how you cook a ham? Because this is what I was told all my life. This is how you cook a ham. He said, fine. So he went to his mother-in-law and said, hey, your daughter just went to cook the ham, and this is how it is. How do you cook a ham? She says, well, you take the ham out of the refrigerator, cut both ends off, put it in the Dutch oven, put it in the oven, you cook it, and it's, it's good to go. And she's, he says, what do you cut the ends off for? He said, because that's how you cook a ham. And he says, how do you know that's how you cook a ham? He said, that's how Granny cooked the ham. It's like, come on, man. What is it about men that they got to boss everything? Just cook the ham. Cut the ends off. So he went to Granny. He said, Granny, can you tell me how to cook a ham? She said, yeah. Take the ham out of the refrigerator, put it on the, uh, on the counter, get the Dutch oven out, put it in the Dutch oven, and slide it in the, the oven and let it cook for this many degrees, this many, this many. And he said, whoa, Granny, whoa, 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 you forgot to cut the ends of the ham off. She said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and, and uh, he said, well, your, your granddaughter did this, and your daughter said this and did this, and that. She goes, oh, honey, he said, back then I just had a little Dutch oven. He said, I had to make the ham fit. And so many of you are living your lives trying to make the ham fit, but you've got a bigger oven. You don't need to do that. But see, we do the things that we've been told all our lives. More than that, okay, we believe that we are what we've been told all of our lives. At the end of the day, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells us this. This is the mystery. Uh, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's you and I, you and I, we're Gentiles, that you and I, the, the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, that means one family, okay, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. At the end of the day, let me just say, it says right there, you became a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. I don't care if you're divorced. I don't care if you've got tattoos. I don't care if you came out of a drinking problem. I don't care if you still are struggling and, and doing your best but struggling with drinking. Just come see me. Let me pray with you. Let's continue to walk together. Um, I don't care what it is you're going through. You are still not a second-class citizen if your feet are pointed toward the cross and you are giving it your best effort to walk with Jesus on a daily basis. I'm not asking if you said the magic words and got dunked in the magic tank. I'm asking you, are you walking with Jesus? Because that's what the word believe means. It means you are walking with Jesus. But I need you to understand that when you walk into this building, you are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. You are first-class citizen. Jesus said, Father, um, you are in me, I am in you, and we are in them. It's a colony going on inside of you. It's, a, it's, it's amazing that you can even get anything done. There's so many voices in your head. We just want them to be the right voices, okay? That's what we want. You've got a little commune going on inside of you, spiritually speaking. At the end of the day, we are God's family. We are heirs with Jesus Christ of eternity, and we are sons and daughters of God himself but I can't make you believe that. You have to choose to every day you get up when all the filth and all the ugly and all the negative and all the darts of the enemy come firing at you, telling you you're worthless, you're ugly, you're stupid, you don't have what God wants, you are. You are everything that he wants in you. All right, so i got to build on this. We believe that we are what we have been told all our lives. Therefore, we act like what we believe we have been told about ourselves all our lives. So first of all, we believe it. 
And as a result of believing it, we begin to act that way. Okay? We aren't good enough, so we don't believe we belong. We don't believe we deserve to be in the room. We don't believe that we deserve to be married, to be married to this person, to be in a relationship. We don't believe that we deserve a better job. We don't believe that we deserve a better income. We don't believe that we deserve a better uh, circumstance. We don't believe that we deserve a better anything because all of our lives we've been taught you stay on your own side of the tracks. You stay. Don't you forget your upbringing. Don't you forget who you are. Don't you get all high and proud and, 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 and get all full of yourself. Don't you try to better yourself. And we hear the enemy saying that to us over and over and over and over again. Somehow your sin is so much worse than my sin. We hear that and we believe that. Uh, and, and it's not. It's not. Yes, if you read the book of Leviticus, I just need you to understand this. There I said it, okay? All sin is not the same to God. There, I said it. You want to challenge me in that? Open up the book of Leviticus and see what God said socially and culturally about sin. This one had people get stoned to death. This one they had to pay back two times. This one they had to pay back seven times. All sin will lead us to hell. I don't care how big or small it is. I agree with that. The end of it all is that sinners go to hell. I can't, I, I can't change that. But we've got to stop inside of Jesus Christ now believing that somebody else's sin is worse than mine. Because Jesus paid for all of it. Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, all have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's a pretty big statement. But it's Scripture. No one is worthy of what Christ did on Calvary for, the, for us. Nobody is. In Romans 3.22, it says, This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. So it's not a racial thing. It's not a national thing. It is not a gender thing. It's obedience, and we've got to come back. Okay? It goes on to say there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And Jesus lavishes his forgiveness upon us in a wanton, W-A-N-T-O-N, in a wanton manner, a, 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 an absurd manner. We would say, listen, I paid for it, I paid for it, I paid for it, I'm not paying for it again. And the Lord's saying, just get up and say, you're sorry, let's keep going. Just get up and ask for forgiveness, let's keep going. As often as we sin, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep getting up. I want to teach you to keep getting up. That's what I want to do. The scripture goes on to say in the book of Ephesians, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God not by works, so that nobody can boast. Nobody deserves it better than anybody else. I don't care what family you came from. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Nobody gets to boast. You cannot be saved by your works. Let's be absolutely clear on that. You cannot be saved by your works, but let it be known that you cannot separate your salvation from your works. And it's not me that said that, it's the brother of Jesus, James, who said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
It does not change your life, change your actions, change your attitude toward other people. What good is it? Okay? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but doesn't do anything about their physical needs, what good is your faith? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, by works, is dead. It's not alive. It's not real. Third thing I want to share with you is we let people treat us. We let people treat us the way we act. See how I just built upon that? We act based upon what we believe people have said about us, and then we let people treat us based upon how we act because of what we believe about what we were told all of our lives. It's starting to sound like that Dr. Seuss book, but I need you to stay with me. People, we let people treat us the way we act because of what we believe about what we were told all our lives. Jesus said, love others as you would have them love you. And I will ask you, how do you love you? Not how are you a narcissist, not how are you self-centered, not how are you selfish, but how do you take care of you? How do you care for yourself emotionally? How do you care for yourself spiritually? How do you care for yourself physically? And how do you care for yourself mentally? Are you taking care of you? Are you demanding that people respect you? I was in a conversation with somebody this past week, and I was doing everything I could to explain to him that if you can't respect you, you will in turn allow people to disrespect you, and it will crumble. Your life will crumble from there. You have to come to the place where you recognize who you are in Christ Jesus, that you deserve to be treated with the respect of being a human being, if nothing else, and that people don't get to talk to you like that. They don't get to cuss at you like that. They don't get to hit you like that. They don't get to yell at you like that. They don't, you have every right to stop and say, this conversation's over if you cannot treat me with respect. You have to do that. Because people aren't going to necessarily do it for you. And at the point that you begin to take care of yourself and you begin to realize, hold on a second, I can ask people to treat me a different way because I deserve to be, my outlook on my life begins to change. Not because I deserve, but because I don't deserve that. And things change. The scripture says in the book of Matthew chapter 7, this is Jesus talking, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Fast forward 15 chapters and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And again, I'm not inviting you to be narcissistic. But I'm just asking you, are you taking care of you? Are you caring for you? Are you not getting caught up in this world so that when somebody comes, you have something to offer them in compassion and empathy and love and sympathy? Do you have that? Last thing I want to share with you is this. The third thing was we let people treat us the way we act because of what we believe about what we were told to us all of our lives. D, and as a result, we will only ever achieve what we were willing to risk based on how we were treated because of what we believe about who we are because of what we were told all our lives. We will always believe, just leave that one up there for a minute, we will always believe if we were treated wrongfully, 
that we don't deserve, we shouldn't act, we should stay here, hide in the hole, nothing good is ever going to happen to you, don't try to invest, don't try to take a risk, don't try to step out, stay in your lane, be where you are, don't forget who you are. If we aren't willing to take a good hard look at ourselves and say, hey, what is it that's been told to us all of our lives that is not true? And then begin to shape our lives. And I'm not talking about just self-help. I'm talking about doing this inside of Jesus. Not just a self-help thing. It starts with running to Jesus. It starts with saying, who am I to you, Lord? And giving God a chance to tell you how he sees you and what that means. I believe with all of my heart that entering into a relationship with Jesus, that Christianity is about unlearning your past and then relearning who God says you are based on your future, on his future for you. And this takes place inside of a daily relationship with God. Apart from being in a daily relationship with God, this won't make any sense to you at all. It will just be an exasperating effort that you give. But inside of Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to move you forward and do things in your life that I promise you, you probably didn't think of or dream of. But he wants you to see a life, that, a parisos life that he has for you that continues to grow, encourage, and change. But you've got to remember, he's going to take your past, if you put it in his hand, and he's going to make something good out of it that glorifies him and blesses you, but that's in front of you. So in all things, Jesus is in front of you. And that's the direction that you're headed. When you can believe what, Jesus, or what God says about you, you'll act in the power of a new reality. If you have the faith, the scripture says, to move a mountain, it will go throw itself into the sea. And you and I will say, well, I've never seen that happen before. And what that should make us stop and say is, how little must my faith be if God himself said I could do it, but I can't do it. And that's not to belittle me. I hope that's to make us say, how can I press in and find that faith that sees those kind of things happening? Are you a Gideon? Can you believe that God sees you as a mighty warrior and it's time to get out of the vat and stop hiding? It's time to step up and believe what God says, that God loves you more than you can believe. In the book of Psalm 19, verse 14, it's the last verse in Psalm 19, it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can I choose to believe that by looking into the Word of God, He sees me as a son, He sees me as a daughter, He sees me as forgiven, He sees me standing in the righteousness of God, He sees me as enough, that when He calls me out, He's already planned for who I am. And when I feel like I'm not enough, He already said I need somebody who's not enough in this situation to say something really dumb that's going to make sense to them. And I say, Lord, I just messed that up. I was really dumb. And he said, that's exactly what I needed. Joe, I needed your dumb. I need your dumb because it made sense to them. And you begin to trust that as you are following God, that that's what he's going to do with you. Can you believe that? He's not looking for you to be perfect the way you see perfect. He's looking for you to choose to be 
the best you that you can possibly be in Jesus Christ. Don't be anybody else. Be you. Now, how can you be you and make yourself available to God? That's what we're after. I don't know what you've heard about you all your life or about something you're going through right now, but I know that these people are up here and they want to pray for you. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to get off this, this podium and then we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song. And if the Lord has touched your heart, if the Lord has spoken into you, if the Lord's wrapped his arms around you, if the Lord's pushing a button in your life, so to speak, can we pray for you? We just want you to get out of the wine vat, come up here, and let us pray for you. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for your word that says we are sons and daughters. We are joint heirs. And that as adopted, as adopted children into your family, that we cannot be unadopted. It's not possible. That's what your word tells us. That, 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 was, the, that was the law of the day, God, that we're in. As we come before you, God, and we stand in the righteousness of Jesus, as Paul said, let us live up to that which we have already received. Not that we're perfect, but that we are hungry for more of you, that we want to hear your voice, that we want to be available to you, that we want to be used by you. Because we want to bring glory and honor to you in seeing even people that treat us the worst come to know you as their Savior and come away from that hurt and that bitterness in their own lives. Forgive me, Lord, where I want to fight for myself. And help me, God, to see the hurt and the brokenness in, in, the, in the person that comes against us. Just ask and pray, God, that you would be glorified in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we come up to our feet?